Okay, so I think I can, and I, I think we're all here now. To yes. So on behalf of my Open Institute, I would like to welcome you all to this unit, and I would like to welcome welcome His Holiness Krishna Chetra Swami. Uh, he's probably known to most of you. He's a, a spiritual master and a sannyasi in ISKCON, and he's one of our uh, ISKCON scholars, a member of the Sastic Advisory Committee, and uh, he's an author. He has written many books on, on Srimad Bhagavatam, a researcher, he's uh, uh, a university teacher, very experienced uh, in, in education, uh, deity worship. He was involved with the deity, uh, deity worship ministry for many years. Uh, and overall, a very, very uh, senior Vaishnava has taken time out to, to be with us and to share with us his wisdom and, and go deep into this section of the Bhagavatam. So it's a precious time and a precious opportunity for all of us. I, I pray that we'll get, you know, take advantage of it. And without further ado, I'll, I'll let Maharaj to, to, to dive deep into the <laughs> well, smiling face of the Srimad Bhagavatam. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Radhika Nagar Prabhu. But um, before we proceed with diving into the nectar and before you disappear, uh, if you have other things to do, uh, Prabhu, I wanted to ask a practical question uh, regarding this coming Friday scheduling. Um, I have a schedule conf conflict, which... I could could not foresee earlier, and uh, I just wonder how flexible devotees are if we if we shifted the whole thing, uh, the whole uh, time for f this Friday. It's this Friday only. Um, to well, for me, it would have to be two and a half hours earlier. Um, if if it's too much trouble, you were suggesting to do I don't know Saturday or Sunday, but maybe that's another problem. I, yeah, I think because we don't want to put too much pressure on you. Also, if you have already a commitment on Friday, let's just do that on Friday, and then on Saturday you'll be a lot less. You know, mm -hmm. you'll have more time, and so we can have the class on Saturday. And then uh, we have a very short test anyway, which is supposed to be on Saturday. We can do that on Sunday. Or we, I'll just, the test I will adjust with the devotees. But, uh, okay, Bimla Prasad is raising, raising his hand. Yeah, I, I believe that we should not be having a test on this Saturday because you see this unit is spread out in two weeks. Yeah, that's something else. I'm just, according okay. that I can deal with. I'm just saying, can you, can you attend class on Saturday? Yeah. Okay. So then we will have a, we will not have class on Friday, and then we will have class on Saturday at the same time, four to six thirty IST. So if anybody had any problem with that, you can communicate with me privately. And uh, regarding the test, I will I will keep you updated how we're gonna do it. Uh, I believe we have two tests even though it's only one unit, but we have two tests for unit 25, okay? So it will be one test this weekend and one the weekend after, okay? 
All right. Thank you. Okay. I've made a note for Friday. Good. And um, you mentioned also that it's being, uh, these sessions are being recorded. Uh, are we already being recorded now? I don't no, think we'll so. Start now with, with we'll the start class. now. Well, yeah. The okay. class? Not yet, Maharaj, not yet. <laughs> Hare Krishna Prabhuji, one question regarding yeah. the Prabhuji, it is written in the um, the PDF, it is uh, chapter 29 to 33 for both the Correct. weeks. Yeah. Correct. 7. So Maharaj has the, the liberty to, to cover, you know. Mm -hmm. I will explain. Yeah. I, I will explain what I have in mind, how we will organize this over the two weeks. Um, okay. And then We'll see if, if you want to do it a different way, maybe we can make some adjustment. But Okay, so let's begin with some Mangala Charana, shall we? Oma Jnana Timarandasya Jnananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Shri Chaitanya Manobishtam Stapitam yena bhutale, svayam rupakadamahyam, dadati svapadantikam. Vandeham, Sri Guru Sri Yuttaparakamalam, Sri Gurun Vaishnavangscha, Sri Rupam Sagrajatam, Sahagana Raghunatang Vitam, Tam Sajivam. Sadvaitam, Savadutam, Parijana Sahitam, Krishna Chaitanya Devam, Shiradha Krishna Padan, Sahagana Lalita, Shi Vishakan Vitangscha, Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prishtaya Bhutale, Shimate Bhakti Vedanta, Swamin Itinamine. Namaste Saraswati Deve, Gauravani Pracharine, Nirvishesha Shunyavadi, Paschatya Deshatarine, Vancha Kalpatarubhyascha, Kripa Sindhubhya Evacha, Patitanam Pavanebhyo, Vaishnavebhyo Namo Nama. Hey Krishna Karuna Sindhu, Dina Bando Jagatpate, Gopesha Gopika Kanta, Radha Kanta Namostute. Tapta Kanchana Gorangi Radhe Vrindavaneshwari, Rishabhanu Sute Devi, Pranamami Hari Priye. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya, Prabhunityananda, Shri Advaita Gadadhar, Shri Vasadi Gauravaktavinda. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama Hare Hare. 
Śrīmad-Bhāgavatam Purāna-mamalaṅyat Vaiṣṇavānam Priyam Yasmin Paramahaṅsyamekamamalaṅ Jñānaṅ Param Gīyate Tatra Jñāna-virāga-bhakti-sahitam Naiṣkārmya-mā-viskṛtam Tatshrinvan-supatang-vicāra-naparo Bhaktyā-vimucchen-naraha Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai, Grantaraja Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai. Assembled Vaishnavas ki jai. <laughs> so I'm happy to be with all of you again. Uh, it's been, well, it's been already almost a year, I think, since we last met. Uh, the time is flying by. And uh, I'm especially excited to discuss with you, read with you and discuss with you our topic, which is um, the five chapters of the Bhagavatam, the Rasa Lila, also known as the Rasa Panchadhyaya. Uh, the Panchadhyaya simply means five chapters. Uh, so it's come to be known because of its very special um, rec uh, recognition as, as the Rasa Panchadhyaya. And uh, I want to also make clear that uh, I am learning along with you that um, this being this, this special section of the Bhagavatam that it is, my only qualification is that I may have some familiarity with some, some aspects of uh, these chapters. Familiarity or some, uh, some insights from other sources which you may not be familiar with. So I look forward to what will surely be an interesting discussion. Um, I want to suggest as a, a, a broad structure of how we approach these five chapters. Since I've been reading through them and reading some of the commentaries in translation, mainly Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur and Srila um, Sanatana Goswami's Brihad Vaishnava Toshani, incredibly rich uh, commentaries. Some of you may be familiar with these. Uh, what I want to suggest is that because we have two weeks for the five chapters, it's really a, not very much time <laughs> for these five chapters. I know that you're nor normally going uh, through, what is it, a few chapters each week. And so we're getting, in a sense, a kind of an extra week. But I feel this is also not enough. But okay, uh, we do what we can with these two weeks. And this will give us um, certainly 
some important uh, appreciation and it may bring us uh, inspiration for deeper study in the future. What I want to suggest is that this week we go through the chapters fairly straight through, chapters 29, 30, 31, 32, and 33, without too much pausing. I mean, I don't want to make this too hard and fast because we may feel, you know, something just begs for attention. But I'm thinking we may uh, kind of focus on the narrative and the basic content uh, of these chapters in the first week. And then next week, we go back and pay attention to specific verses uh, and specific themes. With the specific verses, we can go into more detail about the uh, commentaries. We can enter into some of the some of the what is often, I think, quite playful uh, character of the commentaries, especially Sanatana Goswami. I notice many times he says, "This can mean such and such." Or it can mean such and such. Or it can mean like this. Or it can mean like this. And sometimes he'll go on and on with different, you know, alternatives uh, of how one might read a particular word or a particular phrase or a line or the whole verse. Uh, so it seems like he's having a lot of fun with it. I think we will mainly concentrate, if not exclusively, on these two commentaries. And with some, we may just uh, take one or the other of the commentaries to focus. Um, but we certainly do want to pay attention to commentaries because um, we see from the whole Bhagavatam uh, the extent of commentary expands very much, and also the number of different commentaries which have been, well, that have been published in this particular publication of commentaries from Amnabad, which Srila Prabhupada used for his work. Uh, there's an expansion of the number and uh, usually also the length of commentaries in the 10th canto. And then in the Rasa Panchadhyaya, it expands more. It, it kind of explodes. Everybody, all the acharyas are very eager to enter into and elaborate on and relish and share with us uh, all the wonders of, of these five chapters. Uh, so we do need to pay some attention to commentaries, certainly. We have, of course, the Bhaktivedanta uh, 
disciples' commentaries. We also have Srila Prabhupada's translate, uh, summary study, his summary, the Krishna book. Um, I'm uh, not going to uh, direct attention specifically to the Krishna book. Um, yeah, just it's a time consideration, but I know that Srila Prabhupada makes several points there which are um, sort of commentarial. Um, but we're going to be using the BBT publication with the commentary, and I believe you must be well aware now that uh, from chapter beginning of chapter 14 of the 10th canto through to the end of the 12th canto. Uh, this is the work of a group of devotees. Uh, Srila Prabhupada blessed them to continue and complete the Bhagavatam. Um, in particular, Gopi Paranadana Prabhu, the late Gopi Paranadana Prabhu, and His Holiness Ridayananda Das Goswami. Um, and as if you've already been reading this at all, you may have noticed a lot of uh, what they are doing. And by they, I suspect, and I could ask him, but I believe that it was mainly Ridayananda Maharaj doing the commentaries uh, in the BBT publication. And main, mainly he's referring to Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, often just in a, in a quite short sort of way. Um, one devotee told me recently, this is, I don't know, maybe it's a little off the record, uh, that he was with Ridayananda Maharaj back in the time when he was working on this, Prior to this, before he did the 10th canto, before these devotees did the 10th canto, uh, they did uh, the 11th canto, maybe also 12th canto. And you will find in the 11th canto some very long purports commentary. And then you come to the 10th canto and... Uh, Either there's no commentary for many verses, or uh, they're quite short. And it was explained to me that, um, unfortunately, I would say, um, Maharaj was getting quite some criticism for his 11th canto commentary, whether it had to do with specific content or whether it was just the fact that he was... Uh, you know, considered presumptuous that he could even write a commentary. I don't know what it was, but in any case, he uh, seems to have decided after that to sort of minimize his his presence, so to say, in the tenth canto. Therefore, he's also very uh, specifically referring to the commentaries of. Uh, previous acharyas. All of which is just to say, we do want to uh, pay attention. We can, two commentaries, and uh, certainly there's 
so much within um, our ISKCON devotees' commentaries uh, to give us plenty of food for thought. But there is, um, yeah, there's kind of no end to what can be derived. I've just been listening to some recordings of uh, talks by Amarendra Prabhu, a young devotee, in he's living in Atlanta in the U.S. right now, giving lectures on the um, Venu Gita, uh, the song, of, uh, the Gopi Gita, the song of the flute. And um, he's typically spending um, at least two hours on on one verse. Um, with one particular verse, he spent four, maybe it was even five sessions just on one verse. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, there's so much for us to relish. So, uh, if this is all right with you, this is my idea. That this week we kind of move through the f the five chapters fairly quickly, and then next week we uh, take more time with specific verses. And I wanted to ask: uh, I believe you have specific verses throughout the. The Bhagavatam, uh, which are selected for for learning, for memorizing, is am I correct? So, yes, so if you can, sometime not just now, but sometime you could send me the numbers of any verses within the Rasa Panchadhyaya. That would be helpful. Uh, so we can pay more attention to those. Yes, my dear, I'll send you. Okay. Um, all right, now, excuse me, just getting my notes here. Uh, before we start with chapter 20, 29, I want to um, make a few general comments. Let me see. I think I'll move this up. Yeah, there we go. A few general comments, and um, all of which could be elaborated more. <clears throat> yeah, the first point is that uh, I think it's... Mm, important for us to be aware how much impact th these five chapters have had on the later tradition, um, not just of Vaishnavism, certainly not just of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, not just of Vaishnavism, but of the entire, uh, we can say, the entire civilization in India. Uh, it's in particular been expressed in so many different uh, media. 
the visual arts, uh, the dramatic arts, and music and dance, certainly. Uh, and also, I think we have to we have to say it's sort of leaked into Bollywood in so many ways. Um, so many folk traditions of India have some sort of reflection. In fact, the idea of a rasa dance is itself understood to be a kind of folk dance. Mm. It's it's a standard sort of dance, uh, which, um, you know, is sort of beyond time in India. So, and then on the literary side, the, the Rasa Leela has inspired any number of works in any number of Indian languages and since recent time, other languages as well. Um, we, myself and Radhika Raman Prabhu in America, uh, put together a, a book uh, sort of for academic use, introducing the Bhagavatam. It's a collection of articles, uh, thematic articles, one of which is on the Rasa Leela, uh, which I think I'll, I'll sh I can share with you later, that was uh, written by my godbrother Garuda Prabhu, who teaches uh, in Virgi Virginia. Uh, but what I wanted to say is we divided the 12 articles into two parts. The first part is called uh, The World of the Bhagavatam. And the second part is called the Bhagavata in the world, where the idea is that the first part is focusing especially on the text itself, so kind of entering into the world of the text. And the second part, we have articles that deal with how the Bhagavatam has, um, has lived in the world, how it's had impact in the different arts, for example, and how it's been performed in various ways. And we also have an article on how the Bhagavatam came west, uh, which, of course, features <clears throat> Srila Prabhupada and before him, uh, his spiritual master, Bhakti Siddhanta Thakur, and so on. Um, anyway, the point is that the Bhagavata in the world uh, is especially important with respect to the Rasa Panchadhyaya. Um, and this is something to keep in mind, something which, um, again, I... If we had more time, we could pay it more attention to, but uh, it's just something to mention now. There's a whole history. We could say, for example, from the literary side, the Gita Govinda of Jayadev Goswami uh, from the, what is it, 11th or 12th century 
is um, certainly inspired by the Rasa Panchadhyaya. And the Gita Govinda, in turn, has also had huge impact uh, on the literary, the literary and arts world of India. So we can trace that back to the Bhagavatam and specifically to the Rasa Panchadhyaya. Uh, so, so we are entering into important chapters, very important chapters. Um, now, something which I won't spend much time with, but I want to suggest one way of thinking of any portion of the Bhagavatam, and possibly in particular this portion of the Bhagavatam, uh, is to think of the Bhagavatam as being in the center of a kind of yantra, which uh, a typical yantra will have, you know, a center uh, point and then a whirl of a lotus and then lotus um, petals, and then there will be some square uh, forms, and then there will be four gates. So I want to just suggest uh, these four gates are like going in four directions. So I want to suggest we think also of four directions and four sides of the Bhagavatam, and more specifically the Rasa Panchadhyaya. Uh, one direction which, in my mind, I put, uh, I put on the bottom of this image, this picture, is uh, the Vedic side. So starting from Rig Veda and going through the Upanishads and the Mahabharata, and for the Rasa Panchadhyaya, importantly, uh, the Harivamsha, which is often called an appendix to the Mahabharata, and also the Vishnu Purana, because um, both the Harivamsha and the Vishnu Purana uh, describe the Rasa Lila. Uh, I, I can say something more about that at some point, but that's a detail for now. Uh, the second side of this yantra, so to speak, I want to suggest uh, putting on the upper portion is commentarial traditions. And here we can think of um, most especially our own commentators. We would certainly want to start with uh, Sripad Sridhar Swami and then uh, going through other commentators uh, through uh, Srila uh, Sanatana Goswami and Srila uh, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, but also Srila Rupa Goswami, his Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, uh, certainly refers to the Rasa Panchadhyaya. Um, and, well, Jiva Goswami, um, with his Shatsandarbhas, 
uh, his, the entire Bhagavatam is the subject of his uh, Shatsandarvas. And certainly he refers to the uh, verses, some, some verses of Rasa Panchadhyaya. Uh, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Rupa Goswami, Jiva Goswami. And uh, coming down to the present, we have our own founder Acharya, uh, Srila Prabhupada, his commentary. Um, and of course, there are commentaries from other traditions. The Vallabha Sampradaya, uh, Sri Vallabha, uh, wrote commentary, which we may consider a little controversial considering what we read about how Chaitanya Mahaprabhu reacted to his commentary in Chaitanya Charitamrita. Again, another subject. Um, Krishnadas Kaviraj is also part of this commentarial tradition. And uh, one thing me, we may want to do is look and see where he refers to uh, the Rasapanchadhyaya in Chaitanya Charitamrita. A third uh, side or direction, which I imagine on the left here in my picture, is what I'm calling the cosmopolitan direction. And that is referring to, um, well, to the world, <laughs> to the, the broader religious traditions, uh, of all sorts, in which there may, speaking of Rasapanchadhyaya, we may find uh, religious devotional um, literature which has an aspect of, or a central, possibly central element uh, of uh, what we may call conjugal love expression. So, for example, in uh, the canonical text of the Jewish and Christian traditions, what is called the Hebrew Bible uh, by the, uh, in the Jewish tradition and what's called the Old Testament by the Christians, there is a chapter or a book, as they call it, called the Song of Songs. And this is a, a, a very uh, lyrical uh, song, uh, which is describing love of God in a way which is very much like a conjugal relationship. Um, that's there, and that's in their tradition going back uh, so many centuries, more than a thousand years, close to 2,000 years, I suppose. Uh, there's also, I believe, such literature in the Islamic tradition. This is not something I've studied, so I won't say more about it, but um, that's there. <laughs> and I think it's good to be aware of. And it may be a source of you know, possible comparison, a possible reflection uh, to enrich appreciation of 
our own tradition, the Bhagavatam tradition, and uh, also to appreciate other traditions. And then the final uh, direction or side of this so-called yantra, I would call it the personal side, and this is referring to ourselves personally. Uh, we each of us come to the Bhagavatam uh, with our own lives, our own experience, experiences, our own backgrounds, our own uh, set of presuppositions, intellectual, our emotional worlds, our cultural worlds. We come with all of this. And so as we read the Bhagavatam, uh, there's a kind of mixing. There's some, some interaction there. So we want to be aware of that and uh, not to erase it. Um, what makes the Bhagavatam rich in, in important ways is the fact that we as different devotees come with our different experiences. Uh, and uh, there's a kind of resonation process that happens uh, between ourselves and what we hear and what we read. Um, okay. I thought of uh, what we may call different ways of reading the Rasapanchadhyaya. Um depends how you want to divide them. But one, I'll, I'll put together, uh, one type of reading, I would say, is literary dramatic. Uh, here the emphasis is on the storyline, what happens first, what happens next, but also how are the emotions coming and impacting um, Whenever we speak of drama, if, if, if you go to see some dramatic performance of any kind, Western or from India, uh, what is it that engages your attention is that there is some sort of conflict. Uh, so we may ask ourselves, what's the conflict uh, in the Rasa Panchadhyaya? Or is there a conflict? Or uh, is it appropriate to call it conflict? <laughs> uh, or is something else going on? Well, we can say, yes, there's something else going on. It's called rasa. <laughs> the development of and the unfolding of rasa. Um, in any case, dramatic literary, the emphasis is on uh, the sort of sequence of uh, going from one stage to the other. And we'll talk some more about that as we go along. There's also, a, one can also read these chapters uh, focusing on the theological dimension. And here we might want to combine theological and moral or ethical. 
And I, I mention these words because uh, this is an issue. Uh, it's an issue for readers. There's a history of debate over the meaning of the Rasa Panchanyaya, which goes back um, in modern times, 200 years or so. Well, at least 150 years. Um, but, but it's also within the text itself. When Maharaj Parikshit raises uh, the question at the end uh, to uh, Shukadev Goswami, how, how is this? You know, the Lord is dancing with married, married women. How is this? <laughs> how to understand this? So theological moral or theological moral ethical uh, way of reading. And a third way, and of course, all of these are certainly overlapping, but we may also want to think in sort of sociological and psychological terms. Now, I know when we use such words like that, it sounds, sounds like maybe we want to um, do something reductionistic or materialistic or whatever. Of course, I don't mean that, um, but I only mean that these chapters are very rich and um, we can, I think, appreciate them also in these respects in terms of social relations. A major topic is certainly um, the, the question of male-female relationship uh, interaction as expressed in the Rasa Panchadhyaya. Um, and it's not unusual or it's, it's not unheard of um, that certain scholars who read the Bhagavatam, they come upon the Rasa Panchanyaya, they read it, and they say, oh, no, this is not good. Uh, the feminists' feminism uh, will have major objections to this kind of uh, representation, as they might say, of relations between men and women. Anyway, um, we may or may not get into that, but uh, it's the sort of thing that might be discussed. Another uh, subject I thought to bring up in general is the subject of Adhikara, which is there for the entire Bhagavatam, um, and we are we're um, given how to say it's a concern uh, in the Bhagavatam from the very very first chapter of the Bhagavatam. Um, um, that uh, the Bhagavatam Dharma Projita Kaitavotra Paramo 
nirmatsaranam satam. Uh, it's it's meant for those who are nirmatsara. Uh, the the sata the, the sat uh, the the sadhus who are nirmatsara, uh, and you know we read that and we say, well, I guess that's guess I'm not qualified to read or hear the Bhagavatam. <laughs> Uh, so I guess I'll close the book and find something else to read. Um, but of course, the Bhagavatam urges us to become nirmatsara by hearing the Bhagavatam. And we can say that the hearing of the Rasa Panchadhyaya, who is qualified to hear, we may feel, I am not qualified. But the Bhagavatam invites us to hear and thereby to become purified, so that we can hear. A little bit paradoxical, but uh, this is uh, part of, this is an aspect of the Bhagavatam's richness and encouragement uh, for everyone. Okay. Okay, I think maybe that's about all I need to say for now. Let's, I want to hear from you now briefly. Um, what have you been uh, completing in the last week and for, with whom did, were you discussing? Uh, I believe you have read, uh, what, the previous five chapters in the previous week? Somebody want? Yes. yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, would you say that there is anything within those five chapters starting? Okay, this would be 20, 24th. Yeah, starting with 24. Okay, so you have been reading uh, Govardhan Leela. And then, and then there are three chapters after the two chapters of Govardhan Lila. Would you say that there's anything in these uh, these previous five chapters that sort of prepare us for the Rasa Panchadhyaya? Seasons. The sequence of seasons were leading to the season for Rasalila now. Uh-huh. Okay, very good. So just the time factor, uh the 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 the, the sequence of the of the uh of the seasons of the year. Now we are coming to the Sharat season. Is that right? And um, this is going to inspire Krishna, right? <laughs> uh, to have the rasa dance. Anything else? The women were doing Katya and Nivrata, and Krishna said, soon their desire will be fulfilled. 
So we can see the dancing with Krishna in night and the conjugal pastimes that mm. follow us. Krishna fulfilling his promise that their desires will be fulfilled. Ah, uh, yes, very nice. Thank you, Hema Gopi Mataji. Um, yes, which reminds me of a verse from what is it, chapter chapter two of the second of the tenth canto, uh, prayers of the demigods to Lord Krishna in the womb, Satyavratam Satyaparam Tri Satyam. Uh, describing that Krishna is satyavrata, he keeps his vows. So that's interesting. So that suggests one way of understanding then uh, the Rasapanchadhyaya, we can say, is that it is a demonstration that Krishna keeps his vow. Um, Anantagor Sundar Prabhu. All the devotees had the opportunity to be there with Krishna for seven days, seven nights, including yes. the gopi. Yes. And then they got an opportunity to openly sing about Krishna. Ah, yes. That prepares <laughs> them for the Raspanchadya. Yes. They they have they're otherwise always deprived, isn't it? And then that uh, opportunity came. I always think of uh, the time of the Govardhan, of Krishna lifting Govardhan hill, as he's standing in one place holding the hill, he's acting like a deity. <laughs> and he's creating a temple. He's creating, um, we could say, the original we might want to say the primordial temple, uh, Garbhagriha. Uh, it is with Krishna as the worshipable deity. All of the devotees are there, and they can constantly have darshan of him. Yeah, very good. Um, Ramakrishna Prabhu. Hare Krishna. There's an opportunity to uh, look deep into the uh, different uh, chapters that we have covered. I would actually see that uh, the indications of how Krishna would actually interact with different uh, gopis, especially. As eager were the gopis, so eager was also Krishna. And uh, we could see the reflections uh, from even the previous chapters Mm. Just beginning from the rainy season, then the gopis glorifying Krishna's flute. Mm. So it already had, had begun from there quite in deep. And then it is also, uh, significantly we can see the different classes of gopis or categories of gopis. Mm. It's, uh, though apparently Bhagavatam mentions them as gopis, but we could actually see with their emotions mixed and uh, their kinds of... Uh, internal revelations, what they express around, they definitely are in, uh, in different categories of gopis. Mm. And that gives us an appreciation of how Krishna is actually interacting with each of them. Mm -hmm. So some of the chapters highlight certain type of gopis. And I think by the time we reach to this Rasa Panchadhyayi, everything would be revealed. 
Hmm. And different categories of gopis would be revealed and how Krishna would interact with each of them. Hmm. So Krishna had been preparing and the gopis were also getting prepared quite some time before. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we see that the intensity or the or the impetus begins very deeply at the time of Govardhana pastimes. And they're, they're, they're more open to this because now no one can move out anywhere else other than <laughs> to just be there in one place. And yeah. so uh, there would be no one to object them if they are actually glorifying the Lord. And thereby, <laughs> thereby it becomes more like a public of what they really have in their minds. Uh-huh. And so naturally Krishna reciprocates their internal feelings being uh, personally present within their hearts. Mm. And so the Prasapanchadhyayi actually churns out that internal nectar. Ah, very nice. Oh, you've mentioned two words that prompt me uh, to consider more. You mentioned that with the um, Govardhan Leela, it's very public. And of course, the Rasa Leela, what is the Rasa Leela? Is it public? Well, no, it's... Not really. It's it's happening in the forest, it's happening at night, it's only the gopis, right? So even if there are how many gopis, we hear different numbers, thousands, millions, billions <laughs> uh, of gopis, uh, it's still, the emphasis is on intimacy, whereas Govardhan, it's public, and at the same time, there's some sort of intimacy because it's only the residence of Rindavan, isn't it? So that uh, degree of intimacy is there. Um, but the, the f- we may want to say the full intimacy that the Ras Leela uh, will be is, yeah, we're, we're getting uh, preparation for it. Uh, that was one word, and the other I just forgot. Anyway, it'll come back to me. Um, thank you. Very nice. Srinivas Gopal Prabhu. Maharaj, there is a black hand raised by Bimla Prasad Prabhu. <laughs> I don't see his hand. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You can see my real hand, Maharaj. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Maharaj. Yeah, uh, thank you, Maharaj. Uh, I, I believe that this started even before the past five chapters. It's I, I, I would I would relate back to uh, Krishna's uh, dancing over the heads of the Kaliya. Ah. So it's 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 like you know like that's like a two-way traffic. Like actually, Krishna is giving the signal that now I'm, I'm ready to dance. <laughs> We're going to have this dance now, and then after that, you uh, we see, uh, of course, this uh, uh, before the uh, uh, lifting of the Govardhan Hill, we see Krishna stealing the garments. So, in in that sense, we see Krishna uh, making the first move, Mm. and Krishna is like, uh, it's like as generally we understand this, generally, the the male who makes the first move, in that sense of the term. Yes, and then of course, even in this uh, 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 lifting of the Govardhan Hill, it's like the, the rasa is going on after the glorification that's going on. That's that is public, but still, it's in between the lines. Actually, it's oh, not. Yeah. It's not brazen. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, yeah, the praise. Yeah. And in, in fact, like as we see, there are times when Krishna is like meeting eye to eye to Radharani, then like Krishna, <laughs> yeah. you can see different transformations. Krishna, it's like, yeah. I mean, only select few can see that what's what's going on. Right, right, right. <laughs> now, like the this is like the culmination and the like full spectrum uh, display of rasa dances the full spectrum display of the yeah. different mellows like uh, i mean even even within the matubadri ras different mm. shades the different nuances yes very so. nice very good thank you you're reminding me uh, also that who was it i heard this from uh, i haven't read myself but that the first time that radha and krishna really sort of really meet. Uh, of course, they met as tiny, as small children, but the first time they really sort of look at each other eye to eye is the, the evening after uh, Krishna subdues Kaliya. Because they all stay on the bank of the Yamuna and they're all resting and the, uh, the Vrijvasis all fall asleep, but not Krishna <laughs> and not not Radharani. So, uh, so yeah, that, that's a beginning step also. Thank you. Oh, Srinivas Gopal Ji Prabhu. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Hare <coughs> Maharaj, I was having a, a like uh, earlier pastimes, we have heard that there was some reciprocation with uh, Krishna, God, God boys, and the gopis at the Dhangati and mm. uh, bank of the Yamuna. Mm. So they were already they were talking. Means it's not that first time this happened. Right. Yes. Was that your only point, or you wanted to add? No, we, we were saying that the first time we met, yeah, uh, met no. in the Govardhan uh, Hill. Uh, not first time, but the point with Govardhan is that this was the first opportunity when they could really just non-stop, seven days, seven nights, they could be with Krishna um, and have his darshan. Because otherwise the gopis are always... Lamenting, Krishna leaves every morning with the gopas into the forest, and they, you know, they're waiting for Krishna to come back, right? So, one yeah. That Prabhu was saying that uh, according to season, this has this Rasalila has, been. but this is like eight year or eight and a half years maybe, but mm. it's like every year it is not going on like this. No, that's my understanding. Um, Krishna is, he's still a very young boy. <laughs> They're all very young. But uh, this is the first time it's it's happening. But of course, we say first time, and we also understand it's, that it's going on as we speak, right? <laughs> it's going on as we speak, and we also understand that... Uh, the night of the Rasa uh, Leela described in the Bhagavatam, that night was extended uh, to become the length of the night of Brahma, 
who can understand. Okay. Narasinga uh, Nitai Pru. Hare Krishna Maharaj, Dandavat Panama. Hare Krishna. Uh, Maharaj, uh, previous verse we have learned um, Lord Krishna's uh, Govardhan lifting Lila, that how Lord Krishna knocked down Indra's uh, false pride. And uh, Indra came and he uh, put his crown in front of Lord Krishna's lotus feet and he touched Lord Krishna's lotus feet and he was begging forgiveness. So, in Srimad Bhagavatam, from the beginning, the birth, Nirmat Saranam Satam, we have Maharaj, lot of, lot of false ego. And uh, Krishna proved that <coughs> if we have this false ego, we know we can understand his transcendental lila, first mm. dance. Mm. And we should remove our, this false ego. Mm. By this lila, Krishna proved this. Uh, uh, Prove this that one should remove his false ego, then he can understand devotional life. What is devotion? Mm. Very good. Yes, and this is reminding me. Um, many of you will know better the particulars, but uh, as you may all know, Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur gives sort of allegorical identification uh, to each of the demons who are killed by Krishna in the early chapters of the Bhagavad uh, 10th Canto. And also, um, yeah, you're mentioning Lord Indra, and there's uh, the encounter with Lord Brahma, Brahma Bimohan Lila. All of these uh, he identifies as representing certain anartas, uh, each of which are uh, subdued or or killed um, by Krishna or by Balaram. And so we can say that the entire 10th canto leading up to chapter 29 is preparing us in that way, uh, to inviting us to uh, remove or have destroyed by Krishna uh, all of the anartas that will obstruct our appreciation of Rasalila. Very good. Uh, yes, Jalangi Devi, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna Maharaj, please Hare accept Krishna. my Krishna. most respectful obeisances on I would like to say that uh, the previous chapters also prepare us to enter into this uh, Lila from in the sense of the mood. Because especially the Govardhan Lila, it is mentioned why the residents of uh, Vrindavan, they listen to Krishna. Because that is simply because of their love. Krishna is the sum and substance of their life. Mm. And I remember in Brijan Prabhu's commentary in the like uh, Chatur Sloki Bhagavatam, revealing the lotus feet, mm. he mentioned, he quotes from Sridhar Swami. And there's a word he used quite often for many times, Rahasya. So yeah. he says Rahasya means the essence. That essence is a prema represented by the gopis. I remember 
not very long ago, maybe more than one years ago, um, His Grace Pankajanga Prabhu made a comment. He said, these five chapters are the essence of Srimad Bhagavatam. Mm-hmm. So before we are going to enter into the essence and we prepare our mood, and also since it's essence, that means it is a pure of the, uh, like the pure of the purest. And also the last shloka we have to memorize is 10.33.39. Mm-hmm. And especially the last line mentions um, that Ashwa Pahi no Tiyatirena Diraha. So that means very quickly he becomes sober and conquer lust, the disease of the heart. Mm-hmm. So unless we also get purified, prepare our mood, then um, we we cannot really enter into this um, this lila. Hare Krishna. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. All very nice points. Uh, that's interesting that rahasya uh, can be translated as um, as essence. I wasn't aware of that, and I was just going to look if the standard Sanskrit dictionary also says that, um, because it's usually translated as something like secret. Uh, Prabhupada translates it as devotional service in, um, I think, in the second canto where that appears. Um, Because he's referring to mm, the commentary of Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, where he identifies it with bhakti. And of course, bhakti is the essence. But I just wanted to check here. Monir Williams says, Rahasya means secret, private, clandestine, concealed, mysterious. Um, Any secret doctrine or mystery, any subtle or recondite point, mystical or esoteric teaching. So... Yeah, we are certainly with the Rasa Panchadaya entering into the mm, rah, Rahasya Shastra, we may want to say. <laughs> uh, and, and so we need to be prepared. Um, I'd like to get everyone. Uh, Jai Govinda Prabhu. Hare Krishna Maharaj, Yeah, with all the points, valid points uh, said by uh, other devotees, I would like to also add Maharaj mm. with the last chapters, you know, by lifting Govardhana Hill and also uh, uh, Krishna rescuing Nanda Maharaj in the abode of Varuna. So he is establishing his supremacy and mm-hmm. he's, it's, it's giving a caution for us, you know, like the people should not imitate what he's going to do now. Oh, okay. Thank you. That's nice. Now, you've mentioned uh, this rescuing of Nanda Maharaj and something which I just noticed yesterday is that the Rasa Panchadhyaya is, if I may use the expression, sandwiched between two events of Krishna rescuing Nanda Maharaj. (laughs) And I'm not quite sure what to think of that. I don't know if any of our acharyas uh, comment on it, but certainly this could be 
at least part of the explanation, where we're getting prepared. Don't forget, Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead here. And then afterwards, maybe again, don't forget, Krishna is the Supreme Lord. <laughs> uh, but I just found it interesting that there are two rescue scenes. Uh, yes, Ramakrishna Prabhu, you wanted to again comment. Maharaj, I also see that the translation of the word rahasya refers to confidential. Yeah. So from that perspective, we see that this Asalila is a confidential act. Right. Yeah, it's confidential and from different perspectives. And at the same time, it's um, it's written down. We have the the Bhagavatam in written form. Um, and so it uh, on some level it also becomes open, an open secret, so to say. Like the Bhagavad Gita, Rajavidya Rajaguhyam. It's it's guhya, but it's available for everyone. But will you understand it? That's another question. And of course, that's what we're talking about, preparation, um, how the Bhagavatam up to this point is preparing us. And of course, yes, we've been talking now about the um, first few chapters of the 10th canto. But we can also take it that uh, the entire first nine cantos are preparing us. The nine cantos plus... Uh, the first 28 chapters are preparing us. I think I may have told you the last time how uh, this one professor of mine, a very sympathetic uh, person who has studied Vaishnavism, but he is from a Christian background, uh, was given a gift um, by our Shonagarishi Prabhu in Oxford out of gratitude for how he's helped our center there to be connected with the university, he gave him a set, a complete set of Bhagavatams. And after some weeks, a um, professor came to our center and we were chatting and he said, yes, I've, I started reading. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's fascinating. But he said, I must admit, um, I started reading in the first canto and I came to a, a comment by uh, the commentators, Srila Prabhupada, uh, that one should not jump over uh, the first nine cantos uh, to go to the tenth canto. And he said, sort of laughing and joking and, and uh, apologizing all at the same time, he said, when I read that, I couldn't resist. I jumped right to the tenth canto. <laughs> But that's what Prabhupada did also. He gave us the Krishna book. <laughs> so that's also a bit paradoxical, I think. Okay. Uh, one more thing I want to say in general, because I may refer to it sometimes. I mentioned that Garuda Prabhu has written about uh, the Rasapanchadhyaya. He's written a few, we can call them academic articles, and he's also written a book, 
And the book is, uh, I think he published in 2005. It's his own translation of the entire Rasa Panchanyaya, the verses only, uh, plus his commentary, which is not verse by verse, but rather uh, he has separate chapters in which he discusses. And um, there may come up some points which he makes. I think he has some useful insights uh, that we may want to be aware of. Um, again, he is he's a devotee. He's been you know, practicing Krishna consciousness so many decades. And, and he's also a scholar. And so he's written for um, an audience of, mm, a, in a certain way, which is, uh, it's not that it's not devotional. I would say quite the opposite. He's bringing devotion, a devotional mood into uh, the academic world, if you like. But one general point that he makes, uh, which I think is helpful to appreciate, is that uh, he encourages one to read the Rasa Panchadhyaya as a drama. A drama with Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, Act 4, Act 5. Um, and which has uh, dramatic, how is it called in Latin, dramatic personae. Uh, he gives a list of those who are mm, performing in the drama or the characters in the drama uh, and, and so on. And he has within the acts different scenes uh, so uh, this, I think, highlights that it's dramatic. It's, it's, uh, it's an emotionally intense and dramatic event which is being described, or if we, we can say also series of events, which has also very clear structure. Uh, the five chapters divide very nicely in terms of how how the mm, how the story goes how the drama how the drama proceeds um and so i think that's something that we can keep in mind okay um i want to i want to get started <laughs> and just a little anecdote, Garuda Prabhu told me that mm, the very first verse of chapter 29, Sri Badarayanir Uvacha, Bhagavan Apitar Bhagavan Apitaratri Sharadot Pulamalika Viksha Rantung Manas Chakre Yogamayam Uh, He said he spent a lot of time 
working on his translation of this verse. After reading all the commentaries, uh, and he he writes his uh, translation in a sort of free uh, free verse form, so he writes it as as poetry, and we may we may also look at some of that uh, just to just to show that it we are getting a prose translation, but let's not forget. Most of the Bhagavatam, and especially the Rasa Panchanyaya, is poetry. And it's poetry with several meters, uh, something which Garuda discusses in one of his appendices. But he told me that this first verse, he said he revised it uh, no less than 40 times, four zero. He wanted to get it right. <laughs> he felt this. Anyway, here we have uh, the translation of our Bhagavatam. Sri Badarayani said, Sri Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, full in all opulences. Yet, upon seeing those autumn nights, scented with blossoming jasmine flowers, he turned his mind toward loving affairs. To fulfill his purposes, he employed his internal potency. Yogamayam Upashita. Which in the word for word, uh, Upashita, we have resort, resorting to uh, then in the translation, he employed his internal potency. Srila Prabhupada many times uh, in his translations will have something different in the word for word than we find in, in the verse. So this is not unusual. I just read a little more and then I think we want to take a short break. I presume you all have uh, the text before you, so you can sort of read along. The moon then rose, anointing the face of the western horizon with the reddish hue of his comforting rays, and thus dispelling the pain of all who watched him rise. The moon was like a beloved husband who returns after a long absence and adorns the face of his beloved wife with red kumkum. Lord Krishna saw the unbroken disk of the full moon glowing with the red effulgence of newly applied vermilion as if it were the face of the goddess of fortune. He also saw the Kumuda lotuses opening in response to the moon's presence and the forest gently illumined by its rays. Thus the Lord began to play sweetly on his flute, attracting the minds of the beautiful-eyed beautiful gopis. These first verses have to do with seeing. 
uh, a motif which is also very prominent in the first chapter of Bhagavad Gita, uh, which ironically is being spoken to uh, Dhritarashtra, who is blind. He is physically blind and arguably also spiritually blind. Mm. Arjuna is looking, he is seeing. Um, first we hear from Duryodhana um, showing uh, his army, and then uh, we hear later, or we read how, how Arjuna asks Krishna to bring him between the ar uh, two armies, and there he sees, he views the two armies. And what does he see? He sees only trouble. He sees uh, what the results are going to be, or he's anticipating. And he's saying, I do not see any purpose in this, any benefit. Actually, in the beginning of the second chapter, Nahi prapashyami mamapanudyat yat chokamut choshanam indriyanam. I do not see what is uh, the value of this. Uh, so very much in contrast to that sort of issue of seeing and not seeing, here we have Krishna uh, viksha, seeing. Uh, what is he seeing? He's seeing a very favorable circumstance for enjoying the rasa dance. And we get details of his seeing in the next two verses. He's seeing the moon uh, rising. Uh, well, first the moon is described, the rising moon in verse 2, and then in the third verse, Krishna's response to the moon's rising. <clears throat> uh, he's seeing... Mm. And we can say he is interpreting what he sees. Uh, he's interpreting it as being a situation favorable because he sees the moon as if it were the face of the goddess of fortune. And of course, he is the lord of the goddess of fortune. And what is his response to what he sees? All of these visual images, his response is in the form of sound. He takes his flute and he uh, begins to play. So that's setting the scene. Uh, and... I think now, before we proceed, let's take a 10-minute break, shall we? Okay. Yes, Hare. All right. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Recording stopped. Recording in progress.
Okay, we are back. Um, Another general comment uh, I want to suggest, and maybe this you do anyway, but if you could, because I think we do want to kind of go quickly again this week uh, through the five chapters, If you can individually, to yourselves, for yourselves, make note of anything you want to uh, discuss um, later. And, I mean, how how we're going to work the time we have to see, it's going to be, it's going to be an experiment, the whole process for me. But uh, please make note, and uh, we can then try to discuss things. We might even consider um, that you write something to me, and then I can... uh, But if you write in the chat, the problem is that's not going to be saved, and I won't be able to think about it. So I would need some way of... Uh, of uh, receiving. Anyway, we can talk about that. We can and we consider. have a WhatsApp group. Uh-huh. A WhatsApp group. That's an idea. Yeah, we could try the WhatsApp group, I suppose, if <clears throat> I can be invited to join that group. That would be good. Yes, <laughs> Okay. All right. Um, Who would like to read? Let's see. Just in the first three verses, who would like to read verse four through seven? Uh, Can I start, Marit? Please. Verse number four. When the young woman of Vrindavan heard Krishna's flute song, which arouses romantic feelings, their minds were captivated by the Lord. They went to where their lover waited, each unknown to the others, moving so quickly that their earrings swung back and forth. (laughs) Uh, Purport also, Maharaj? No, we're going to move. We're going to just focus on the verses. Verse number five. Some of the gopis were milking cows when they heard Krishna's flute. They stopped milking and went off to meet him. Some left milk curdling on the stove, and others left cakes burning in the oven. Verse 6 and 7. Some of them were getting dressed, feeding milk to their infants, or rendering personal service to their husbands. But they all gave up these duties and went to meet Krishna. Other gopis were taking their evening meals, rubbing their bodies with cleansing oils, putting on cosmetics or applying kajal to their eyes. But all the gopis stopped these activities at once, and though their clothes and ornaments were in complete disarray, they rushed off to Krishna. (laughs) Very nice. Very nice um, dramatic reading you're doing. Yeah, notice this is now, we're getting immediately into the response of the gopis to hearing Krishna's flute. And it's, you know, they're not wasting any time in their responding. Uh, 
they're stopping everything they're doing and they're letting the cakes burn in the oven and so on. Uh, <laughs> I think there's some humor in this uh, particular part of the, the, whole, the whole story. We can picture the scene, you know. Here they are and suddenly, whoa, Krishna's flute. And then they drop everything. <laughs> okay, who wants to read uh, verses 8 through 11? Can I read, Maharaj? Please. Their husbands, fathers, brothers, and other relatives tried to stop them. But Krishna had already stolen their hearts. Enchanted by the sound of his flute, they refused to turn back. Some of the gopis, however, could not manage to get out of their houses. And instead, they remained home with eyes closed, meditating upon him in pure love. Mm. Just give me a minute, man. just stand. Mm -hmm. It's a long purport. For those gopis who could not go to see Krishna, intolerable separation from their beloved caused an intense agony that burned away all impious karma. By meditating upon him, they realized his embrace and the ecstasy they then felt exhausted that material piety. Although Lord Krishna is a supreme soul, these girls simply thought of him as their male lover and associated with him in that intimate mood. Thus, their karmic bondage was nullified and they abandoned their gross material bodies. Mm. Yes. Um, it's perhaps not surprising why we get long purports to these verses. Uh, because there's, uh, there's so much theological content in these verses. Uh, and, of course, what we're getting here is uh, derived mainly from the, com the earlier commentaries. <clears throat> uh, and this is, um, this is about obstruction. Uh, the gopis want to meet Krishna. Now some of them are being stopped by their husbands. Uh, as I mentioned before, drama almost invariably means some conflict. So we can think of this in that way. There's a, one, one sort of conflict is happening here. I want to see Krishna. I'm being prevented from seeing Krishna. I'm being purposefully prevented from seeing Krishna. So that's, that's a problem. Okay, now... Maharaj Prichet expresses his doubt. Uh, who wants to read, let's say, the next um, through verse... Can I read, Maharaj? Yes, through verse 17. Okay, Maharaj. Shukadeva Goswami said, This point was explained to you previously. Oh, sorry, before that, yeah. Verse Shri 12. Maharaj said, yeah, yeah. yes, Maharaj. Sri Parikshit Maharaj said, O sage, the gopis knew Krishna only as their lover, not as the supreme absolute truth. So, 
how could these girls their minds caught up in the waves of the modes of nature free themselves from material attachment hmm shukadev goswami said this point was explained to you previously since even shishupala who hated krishna achieved perfection then what to speak of the lord's dear devotees hmm o king the supreme lord is inexhaustible and immeasurable and he is untouched by the material modes because he is their controller his personal appearance in this world is meant for bestowing the highest benefit on humanity the person who constantly direct their lust anger fear protection protective affection feeling of impersonal oneness or friendship towards lord hari are sure to become absorbed in the thought of him you should not be so astonished by krishna the unborn master of all master of mystic power the supreme personality of godhead after all it is the lord who liberates this world seeing that girls of raja had arrived lord krishna the best of speakers greeted them with charming words that bewildered their minds okay thank you, <clears throat> thank you. um i don't know what's happened to my uh, zoom program i have a new computer here maybe that's why but it used to be that i could it would show who is speaking i could easily see now i can't it's not showing anyway technical thing um okay so this was this is a kind of theological interlude right um first we're getting description of what's happening krishna's playing a flute the gopis are responding they want immediately to run to krishna and then we have this what i would call an interlude because it's a drama and we might say that uh, the mm, the director of the drama is coming onto the stage uh, together with his interlocutor and they're having a discussion about what's happening in the drama and the discussion is an is a theological discussion how is this how is it possible that they're purified uh of all karma this is what shukadev has said despite the fact that they are thinking of him only as their lover and then Sh- uh shukadev goswami seems to be slightly annoyed with this question <laughs> this is my interpretation he seems slightly annoyed i've already told you this i've already explained this to you um and where he explains it is in the 7th canto okay uh who wants to read next let's see verses 18 through through what uh through destination well it's krishna speaking a long speech now okay it would be up through 28 sorry 27 so 18 <clears throat> through 27 okay 
Lord Krishna said, Oh most fortunate ladies, welcome. What may I do to please you? If everything well in Raja, please tell me the reason for your coming here. This night is quite frightening and frightening creatures are lurking about. Return to Raja, slender wasted girls. This is not a proper place for a woman. Not finding you at home, your mothers, fathers, sons, brothers and husbands are certainly searching for you. Don't cause anxiety for your family members. Now you have seen this Vrindavan forest full of flowers and resplendent with the light of full moon. You have seen the beauty of the trees with their leaves trembling in the gentle breeze coming from the Yamuna. So now go back to the, cow, to the cowherd village. Don't delay. Oh, chaste ladies, serve your husbands and give milk to your crying babies. <laughs> On the other hand, <clears throat> perhaps you have come here out of your great love for me which has taken control of your hearts. This is, of course, quite commendable on your part. Since all living entities possess natural affection for me, the highest religious duty for a woman is to sincerely serve her husband, behave well toward her husband's family, and take good care of her children. Women who desire a good destination in the next life should never abandon a husband who has not fallen from his religious standards. Even if he is obnoxious, unfortunate, old, unintelligent, sickly, or poor, <laughs> for a woman from a respectable family, pretty, adulterous, Pet fair, petty. Petty means insignificant. Oh, petty, petty unadulterate, adulterous affairs are always condemned. They bar her from heaven, ruin her reputation, and bring her difficulty and fear. Transcendental love for me arises by the devotional process of hearing about me, seeing my deity form meditating on me and faithfully chanting my glories. The same result is not achieved by mere physical, physical proximity. So please go back to your homes. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Again, there's, there's a lot of humor in this passage. Uh, we can picture the scene. Now the gopis who have somehow managed to leave their homes, they've rushed to Krishna. They've arrived uh, in the forest before Krishna, and Krishna's standing there and he's saying, Oh, what are you doing here? This is no place for you to be. This, uh, this is, you know, dangerous and so on. And uh, you should, so you should go back home. You've seen you've seen the nice scenery. <laughs> the, 
The Gobies have no interest in the, you know, the trees and whatever. That's not what they're coming for. <laughs> they're coming for Krishna. Uh, but Krishna's playing with them, of course. Uh, he's joking with them. And then he's sending them away. And of course, the commentators, uh, especially Vishwanath, is going to say, this is all has double meaning. He's saying, go back home. But what he's actually saying is, stay here. And so on. So we'll we'll come to some of that later. Um, and then he's giving some uh, what I would call. He's sounding like he's giving dharma shastra. You know, what is the dharma of a of a woman? So he's kind of lecturing them. The dharma of a woman is to. Uh, to serve her husband and so on. And uh, incidentally, I think it's uh, interesting to notice the, uh, which chapter number I'm not remembering, but uh, the wives of the brahmanas, when, the, when Krishna and Balaram, when the wives of the brahmanas serve Krishna and Balaram, that whole episode uh, has a lot of parallels uh, with the Rasalila. Uh, they're leaving home, they're coming to see Krishna and Balaram. Krishna is accepting their service, but then he's saying, okay, now go back home, that's where you belong. So there's also a kind of anticipation, we may say, of of the mm, Rasalila. Okay, now Shukadev Goswami speaks, and uh, this is a shorter section. This is uh, 28 through 30. Who wants to read? Can I read it? Yes, please. Oh. Please go ahead. Uh, for I know this twenty eight. No? Yes, said, hearing, yeah. hearing these unpleasant words spoken by Govinda, the gopis became morose. The great hopes were frustrated, and they felt insurmountable anxiety. Their heads hanging down and their heavy, sorrowful breathing drawing up their reddened lips, the gopis searched the ground with their toes. Tears flowed from their eyes, carrying their kajal and washing away the vermilion smear on their breasts. Thus they stood silently, bearing the burden of their unhappiness. Although Krishna was their beloved, and although they had abandoned all other objects of desire for his sake, he had been speaking to them unfavorably. Nonetheless, they remained unflinching in their attachment to him, stopping their crying. They wiped their eyes and began to speak, their voices charming with agitation. Mm. 
Okay, so now the reaction, the initial reaction of the gopis, they're very, uh, it's translated as morose. Uh, <clears throat> uh, in verse 29, just very briefly, and this is, I'm pointing it out because it's generally the case. Those of you who want to pay more attention to the Sanskrit, I found there are many, <clears throat> excuse me, there are many uh, Bahuvrihi Samasas, uh, which is to say, for those of you not familiar, these are um, possessive compounds. Uh, an example is in verse 29, Urudukka Braha, uh, which could be translated, uh, well, let's see how it's done here. Uh, well, it's broken up, excessive of unhappiness, feeling the burden. Um, I've said, they whose burden was excessive unhappiness. In other words, uh, this Urudukka Baraha is a synonym for the gopis. It's describing the gopis. The, grop, the, the gopis have a burden, bara, and that burden mm, is dukkha. What sort of dukkha? Uru, very great, excessive. So, uru dukkha baraha. Uh, it's indicating plural, speaking about the gopis in plural. In a similar way, in verse 30, uh, there's this bahuvrihi samasa, tat arta vinivartita sarvakamaha. They whose all desires were abandoned for his sake. So you can think of these particular Sanskrit uh, formulations as, you can, you can actually think of them as different names for the gopis collectively, if that makes any sense. Who are the gopis? Well, in this circumstance, uh, they are tat arta vinivartita sarvakamaha. They whose all desires, sarvakama, were abandoned, vinivartita, uh, tat arta for his sake. And very likely, I haven't looked at the commentary for this, but I can well, I can well imagine because. Uh, it's especially the case with samasas, with compounds in general, but perhaps especially with these bahurihi compounds, that they can be interpreted in different ways, in so many different ways. And that is one of the things that brings so much richness uh, to the language and makes it so poetic. Um, Okay, now the gopis are going to speak and they're going to protest <laughs> this reaction. Uh, this goes for several verses. Okay, let's save from verse 31 until through 30, 
37. It's kind of arbitrarily. 31 through 37. Who wants to read? Can I read, Maharaj? Please. Our dear Krishna, as an expert in religion, you have advised us that the proper religious duty for women is to faithfully serve their husbands, children, and other relatives. Um, I, believe, that... I believe you've skipped oh, verse 31. Okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah. The beautiful gopis said, O all-powerful one, you should not speak in this cruel way. Do not reject us, who have renounced all material enjoyment to render devotional service to your lotus feet. Reciprocate with us, O stubborn one, just as the primeval lord, Sri Narayana, reciprocates with his devotees in their endeavors for liberation. Our dear Krishna, as an expert in religion, you have advised us that the proper religious duty for women is to faithfully serve their husbands, children, and other relatives. We agree that this principle is valid, but actually this service should be rendered to you. After all, O oh Lord, you are the dearmost friend of all embodied souls. You are their most intimate relative and indeed their very self. 33. Expert transcendentalists always direct their affection toward you because they recognize you as their true self and eternal beloved. What use do we have for these husbands, children and relatives of ours who simply give us trouble? Therefore, <laughs> O Supreme Controller, grant us your mercy. O Lotus Aidwan, please do not cut down our wrong cherished hope to have your association. 34. Until today, our minds were absorbed in household affairs, but you easily stole both our minds and our hands away from our housework. Now our feet won't move one step from your lotus feet. How can we go back to Raja? What would we do there? 35. <laughs> okay. Dear Krishna, please, dear Krishna, please pour the nectar of your lips upon the fire within our hearts, a fire you ignited with your smiling glances and the sweet song of your flute. If you do not, we will consign our bodies to the fire of separation from you. O oh friend, uh, consign bodies of separation from you, O oh friend, and thus like yogis, attain to the abode of your lotus feet by meditation. 36. O oh lotus-eyed one, the goddess of fortune considers it a festive occasion whenever she touches the soles of your lotus feet. You are very dear to the residents of the forest and therefore we will also touch those lotus feet. From the time on, we will be unable even to stand in the presence of any other man for we will have been fully satisfied by you. Text 37. Goddess Lakshmi, whose glance is sought after by the demigods with great endeavor, has achieved the unique position of always remaining on the chest of her lord Narayana. Still. She desires the dust of his lotus feet, even though she has to share that dust with Tulasi Devi and indeed with the Lord's many other servants. Similarly, we have approached the dust of your lotus feet for shelter. Mm. Quite, some, <clears throat> quite some arguments they're making. They're, it's like a whole avalanche of arguments that the gopis are making why they should uh, be allowed by Krishna to stay and to to be with him and to dance with him. 
I think it would be interesting someone to make a, a careful analysis um, of the reasoning that's being done by the gopis. Um, what sort of, exactly what sort of reasoning are they, uh, reasoning and also rhetoric, they're using a lot of rhetoric. Uh, they, they make, for example, rhetorical questions. Uh, perhaps you're all familiar, a rhetorical question is a question which is you don't expect an answer, uh, a literal answer, but you're making an argument. So, for example, in verse 33, what use do we have for these husbands, children, and relatives of ours who simply give us trouble? That's a rhetorical question. The answer, if you wanted to give an answer, the answer that they want us to understand is uh, there's no use to them. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's in the form of, of a question, of a rhetorical question. And then there are more rhetorical questions. <laughs> I have to laugh. In verse 34, um, how can we go back to Vraja? What would we do there? <laughs> what would we do there? Krishna has told them, you have to go back because you have to take care of your families. And they're saying, go back to Vraja? What would we do there? There's nothing for us to do. And of course, the significance uh, of this, all of this rhetoric is that they've given up now uh, this ordinary life. They've renounced and they have, they've, they've already jumped off the deep end uh, in terms of you know, social acceptance and so on. Uh, they've made their move, and now they're saying, we can't go back. Uh, we won't be accepted back. Okay, let's now, moving along, uh, versus... Maharaj, I have a question, can I ask? Uh, yes. Maharaj, if you've seen uh, text uh, 32 and also in 33, mm. uh, the gopis are saying, oh Lord, you are the dearmost friend of all embodied souls. Mm -hmm. You are their most intimate relative. And then again, they are saying, uh, therefore, O Supreme Controller, grant us your mercy. So how yeah. do we understand that? Yeah, so in, that, in this case, they're making uh, theological arguments. And no, but as for them, as far as they are concerned, that he is, they don't consider him as a Supreme Lord, right? Oh, I see what you're saying. They're, they're only seeing him as their lover, uh, and yeah. now they're pronouncing him to be the supreme, the supreme yeah. Lord, and they're comparing him uh, to Lord Narayan in verse thirty-one, and they're speaking of Lakshmi and so on. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know if the commentators try to resolve that or not, um, but we can say generally. Um, throughout the tenth canto, maybe especially in the first half uh, in the Vrajlila, there's a kind of ongoing tension, I would call it, we may call it a 
creative tension that um, on the one side, we all know Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He is Bhagavan. And he was referred to as Bhagavan in verse number one. And we're reminded occasionally he is Bhagavan. Um, almost as if, you know, Shukadeva Goswami wants to make sure <laughs> that we don't that we don't think like uh, the residents of Rindavan generally think of Krishna, which is that he is simply their beloved Krishna. But then occasionally uh, the the theology, the tattva, sort of seeps through into the rasa. And we have it uh, that the cowherd men experience Vaikuntha and they realize who is Krishna and they speak with Nanda Maharaj and Nanda Maharaj says, yeah, actually, you know, that's what Gar Gargamuni told us when Krishna was born, uh, that he's actually Narayan. So you get these interludes. In this case, though, it's a bit especially surprising. I agree, uh, because we're supposed to understand that they don't think of Krishna as the Lord. Uh, so that's all I can say on that point for now, but maybe something comes from the commentators. Okay, verse uh, 39, no, 38. Um, oh, and it goes all the way to the end, 48. Okay, who wants to read the remainder of the chapter for us? Can I continue, Marge? All right. Text 38. Therefore, O oh, Venpisher of all distress, please show us mercy. To approach your lotus feet, we abandoned our families and homes, and we have no desire other than to serve you. Our hearts are burning with intense desires generated by your beautiful smiling glances. O oh, dwell among men, please make us your maid servants. Text 39. Seeing your face encircled by curling locks of hair, your cheeks beautified by earrings, your lips full of nectar, and your smiling glance, and also seeing your two imposing arms, which take away our fear, and your chest, which is the only source of pleasure for the goddess of fortune, we must become your maid servants. Text 40. Dear Krishna, what woman in all the three worlds wouldn't deviate from religious behavior when bewildered by the sweet, drawn-out melody of your flute. Your beauty makes all the three words auspicious. Indeed, even the cows, birds, trees, and deer manifest the ecstatic symptom of bodily hair standing on end when they see your beautiful form. Text 41. Clearly, you have taken birth in this world to relieve the fear and distress of the people of Raja. Just as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the primeval Lord protects the demons, protects the domain of the demigods. Therefore, O friend of the distressed, kindly place your lotus hand on your maidservants' heads and burning breasts. 
text 42. Sukhdev Goswami said, smiling upon hearing these despondent words from the gopis, Lord Krishna, the supreme master of all masters of mystic yoga, mercifully enjoyed with them, although he is self-satisfied. Text 43. Among the assembled gopis, the infallible Lord Krishna appeared just like the moon surrounded by stars. He whose activities are so magnanimous made their faces blossom with his affectionate glances and his broad smiles revealed the effulgence of his jasmine bud-like teeth. Text 44. As the gopis sang his praises, that leader of hundreds of women sang loudly in reply. He moved among them, wearing his Vajanti garland, beautifying the Vrindavan forest. 45-46. Shri Krishna went with the gopis to the bank of Yamuna, where the sand was cooling and the wind, enlivened by the river's waves, bore the fragrance of lotuses. There, Krishna threw his arm around the gopis and embraced them. He arose Cupid and the beautiful young ladies of Raja by touching their hands, hair, thighs, belts, and breasts, by playfully scratching them with his fingernails, and also by joking with them, glancing at them, and laughing with them. In this way, the Lord enjoyed his pastimes. <clears throat> 47. The gopis became proud of themselves for having received such special attention from Krishna the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and each of them thought herself the best woman on earth. Text <laughs> 48. Lord Keshava, seeing the gopis too proud of their good fortune, wanted to relieve them of this pride and show them further mercy. Thus, he immediately disappeared. Tatraivantaradiyata. Ah. <clears throat> okay, very good. Um, thank you. This is uh, this is another. It's a turning point. Uh, the gopis have been making their arguments, and then it seems Krishna becomes persuaded <laughs> by their arguments. Of course, this is what Krishna wants. He wants to dance with them with the gopis, but uh, he's been playing with them. Now they've made so many arguments, and he is, uh, in effect, reciprocating with the fact that they showed such determination. Uh, we might want to say that Krishna was testing them. And I think the commentators say that Krishna's testing them. Uh, ladies, you should go back home, so on. They say, no, there's no place for us to go. Uh, <clears throat> uh, verse number 40 reminded me of the Venu Gita. Dear Krishna, what woman in all the three worlds wouldn't deviate from religious behavior? when bewildered by the sweet, drawn-out melody of your flute. Um, of course, the whole Venu Gita uh, is the gopis glorifying the flute, the sound of the flute, the effect of the flute uh, on all the residents of Rindavan. And here they're 
again in the form of a rhetorical question, what woman would not be deviated? <laughs> Meaning, there is no woman who would not be deviated uh, by hearing the sound of your flute. The long, the sweet, drawn-out melody of your flute. Um, so they're, they're replying here to Krishna's argument that the duty, the dharma of a woman is to take care of her family and so on. And they're saying, well, um, the problem is you played your flute. And uh, what do you expect? <laughs> what do you expect? We, we have been drawn to you. Uh, and so our religious behavior is out the window, uh, and it's actually your fault. It's not our fault. And that's an interesting theological question we might consider at some point, is um, what is the place of the will of the gopis and their determination, and what is the place of Krishna's attractiveness in one sense we might we might want to say well krishna is just irresistible the gopis because of their relationship with krishna there's no question of resisting him he is he is he's like a magnet attracting iron filings they are helpless in the presence of in the sound of krishna's flute when they hear that sound, there's nothing they can do. There's, they have no choice. They have to go to Krishna. On the other side, we may say uh, the gopis, due to their purity of love for Krishna, uh, had no other desire than to meet Krishna. And therefore, uh, despite all the obstacles to their meeting Krishna, and the obstacles were major. I mean, to say uh, the, the, the fact that they were giving up their homes meant that they were giving up essentially everything of their lives uh, for Krishna. So, so Krishna hears these arguments. He sees this utter determination, and he, he then agrees, okay, let us dance. Let us uh, enjoy together. Now, we are reminded, again, verse 43, that the Lord is achuta. He is infallible. He does not fall. And therefore, um, what he is doing is transcendentally perfect. Um, and let's see then. Let's see if I have a note here. Yeah, sometimes it may be helpful uh, to pay attention to 
sort of the physicality of what's going on. So verses 45 and 46 are emphasizing uh, the sense of touch and also of smell. Also sight, glancing is mentioned, and there's also sound, and the sound is the sound of laughing. Something which I'm gradually preparing for a kind of academic presentation. Uh, it'll be several months before it happens, but I'm part of a group called uh, Religion and Logic, uh, which has been started by one devotee scholar. And I've been in, invited to give a presentation. So I want to speak about uh, philosophy of language within uh, Vedic tradition. And I want to mainly focus on the Bhagavatam and to focus on the question that Maharaj Parikshit raises in the beginning of chapter 87 of the Bhagavatam, Canto 10, uh, which is uh, the prayers of the personified Vedas. And the question is basically, how is it possible for language, uh, which is what we use in this world of the three modes of nature, how is it possible for language to um, describe or to access uh, transcendence, the Supreme Lord? And the whole chapter is, in effect, an answer to that question. But the answer is quite, it's actually quite indirect. It doesn't really talk very much about language as such. It talks more about uh, the, the Shrutis are all praising the Lord as the Lord. They're establishing him as the Lord. But the fact that they are the Shrutis, they are language, they are Veda, is kind of uh, the point. And, and, uh, and so it's a case of what one scholar of language back in the 1970s famously wrote that uh, the, the medium is the message. The medium of communication is itself the message. Anyway, I'm going on a tangent here, but uh, what I find interesting is that something you don't find in any, certainly not in Abrahamic traditions that I know of, uh, that you have descriptions of Krishna, uh, of God speaking, not just speaking orders to, you know, the people of the world, not just speaking commandments, uh, but speaking with his friends and speaking, um, joking. <laughs> God is joking with his friends. <laughs> this idea is, uh, you know, so utterly beyond any understanding of, any common understanding of, of religion. It's so wonderful. So anyway, here is Krishna uh, interacting in very affectionate ways. Some may say erotic uh, 
But I would say it's it's this perfect balance of spirit and so-called matter. And that's kind of the point uh, of what's happening. And uh, That's also a matter of mm, so much discussion about the Gita Govinda, which is, in many respects, much more explicitly what we might call erotic uh, description. But what is the... What is the actual force? What is the actual import of it all? It is, we understand, it is, it is entirely spiritual. And then we come to the last two verses. The gopis became proud of themselves for having received such special attention from Krishna. Labdamanaha, which is also... A, um, yeah, this would be also Bahuvrihi Samasa. Those uh, having received high regard, you could say, Labdamana, Labda, having received Manaha, regard. Trinadapi Sunichenas, Taroriva Sahishana, Amanina, Manadena. Kirtaniya Sadahari. Hmm? Uh, by means of these four principles of feeling oneself humble, uh, lower than grass, tolerant, more tolerant than a tree, or like a tree, tolerant, uh, expecting no respect for oneself, a manina. Um, and mana dana, mana da, giving respect, giving honor, giving appreciation to others. Uh, by means of these four ways of, uh, or dispositions, if you like, kirtaniya. Uh, Hari is sada kirtaniya, he is constantly glorifiable. <laughs> <laughs> if you like. Um, so, what happens here? Labdamana. The gopis are feeling that they have been honored. And so, what's the problem? Atmanam menire strinam. They considered themselves special, maninya. <clears throat> hmm. Maninya adikam. Adika means more, addition, additional can mean too much. Uh, here it's translated as the best. I am the best. That's the feeling they had. Uh, well, and then the Lord, what is his way of reciprocating with that feeling? Tasam tatso bhagamadam. Viksha, having seen viksha, this manam, <clears throat> uh, which was due to their 
Sobhaga, their great fortune, uh, Keshava, Prashamaya, Prasadaya. Hmm. Prashamaya, for the purpose of Shama, uh, Prashama, for the purpose of reducing, for uh, diminishing uh, this pride. And prasadaya, to show them mercy, to give them mercy. Tatra eva mm, uh, antara, di, antara diyata. Literally, he, he went inside. <laughs> he disappeared within. We'd have to see what the commentators say, but I think it would mean he... He's 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 not he's not leaving the gopis. He's entering within them, so they don't see him. He's always with them. So there's this play also throughout the Rasalila Panchadhyaya of presence and absence, meeting and parting. Uh, the presence may have within it the sense of absence and the sense of absence of uh, separation, viraha, may have within it the sense of presence. Um, I'm sure you've all seen this uh, symbol from ancient Chinese Taoist tradition. Uh, it's a circle. Within the circle, there's two uh, shapes which sort of wrap around each other. They represent what uh, the Chinese Taoist tradition calls yin and yang, yin, yang. <laughs> and like we have the, th we understand from Sankhya, there's uh, Rajagun, Tamagun, Tamagun, Rajagun, Sattvagun. They understand everything in terms of two principles, yin and yang. But the point is that in this symbol, one of these shapes will be black and the other will be white. But in the center of each of the two uh, forms, there will be a, a bindu, a dot, in the opposite color. So within the white shape, there's a black dot. And within the black shape, there's a white dot. And the idea is that within each of the, uh, either of the two principles is the, is the uh, potential of the opposite. So I see this also in the idea of presence and absence, meeting and departing in the rasalila within the one is also the the presence of the other well we've come to the end of our time uh, we will proceed tomorrow with chapter 30 um, i see some of you have questions or comments i'm sorry to say i think uh, we should end now especially because I have another meeting coming up almost immediately after this. So if you can hold your 
questions or comments for tomorrow. Maybe we can begin our session uh, with that, if that's all right. Okay. Thank you so much. And Grantara Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai, Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai, Anantakoti Vaishnavarinda Ki Jai, Nitai Gora Premanande Hari Hare Krishna. Thank you, Maharaj. Thank you very much, Maharaj. Thank you, Maharaj. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna, Maharaj.